I asked Terrence. So Terrence, what do you think about what do you think about that quote of Alan Watts when you, when they get the when you get the message hanging up the phone? He goes, "I'm still getting good messages." <laughs> Radio Mano Papachango. Chris, how you doing? This is Tyler. I'm up in uh, Sacramento, California, in NorCal here. And uh, yeah, man, I just wanted to call in and say thanks for all you do, releasing all the great content. Um, you know, I love the podcast. I love your guests. I love the things discussed and all the zaniness and wackiness that comes with it. Um, yeah, I think it's awesome. And uh, I really appreciate it. Hey, uh, Chris and fellow uh, listeners, uh, Brian and Beth here in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin. We're sitting on the back of our sailboat watching the sun set into Green Bay. And I uh, hope you guys are all doing well. Uh, take care, be good, and uh, keep listening. Thanks. Super sweet. Hey, Chris Ryan and fellow Tangentialers. Uh, this is Melissa uh, from... Uh, Eugene, Portland, Oregon, kind of go back and forth between those two, just uh, smoking a bowl and uh, enjoying this beautiful spring weather that we have that Oregon has granted us um, after our annual rain. Um, It's uh, almost May as I speak. Um, I just got off the phone with my husband, uh, Brian, shout out to him, I guess, who, uh, he is doing a physics research internship in Montreal, and they are working on figuring out fusion fusion energy, which is, um, yeah, you know, can lead to sustainable and environmentally friendly and beneficial renewable energy, which would be pretty rad, and, uh, yeah. So, uh, just, uh, trying to relax from the day, got off of my internship at the clinic that I work at, um, as a part of my final semester in school, and, uh, about to sit down with your latest episode, um, of the podcast before I listen to the episode that Brian and I, uh, agreed to listen to as we are trying to, uh, incorporate that in our weekly conversations and daily conversations as a way to kind of continue to stay connected throughout this uh, vast world. So, um, yeah, thank you for the podcast. It's great. Um, it not only connects strangers, but the people that we love, uh, close to us as well. So, um, yeah, um, life is weird. Hope you all are writing it out. And, uh, as I am, trying to as well so have a lovely shining spring and a future summer bye greetings earthlings this is your host christopher ryan welcome to another edition of tangentially speaking my guest this week is john harrison he is a guy who's been around he's extremely thoughtful interesting out of the box dude um 
he uh the way you just heard was his impression of terence mckenna who was a friend of his uh impersonation not impression i always get them mixed up um he um i don't want to give the story away but he had some tangles with the law let's say um in his enthusiastic pursuit of psychedelic knowledge um i'll let tim tell the story but uh he's definitely been around he's a great guy and uh, he looks at things from a lot of interesting angles with considerable depth. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Mr. John Harrison. Uh, I am back from my river rafting trip on the Deschutes. It was fantastic. It did not rain constantly as I was fearing. And in fact, we did not hit uh, any serious rapids. Nothing life-threatening happened. There were some rattlesnakes around, but we saw them. They saw us. Everybody was cool. It was really nice hanging out with the dudes uh, from the various uh, firefighting forces of Portland, Oregon. If any of you are listening, thanks so much for letting me tag along with you. Uh, My buddy Tom and I were the only non-firefighters in the group. It was uh, an honor to hang with those guys. Man, if you want to go camping with some dudes who know how to get shit done, go with some firemen. They pack and unpack and cook and clean, and it's just everything is works like clockwork. Those are some dudes who know how to um, handle a situation, for sure. So anyway, that was fantastic. That was just a beautiful few days. And uh, I'm in Portland now, just spent one night here. We're leaving as soon as I finish uploading this uh, episode, headed up to Seattle, There is a get-together scheduled Thursday, May 23rd in Seattle, 7 p.m., 7 to 9, at Jules Mays Saloon, which is uh, at 5919 Airport Way South Seattle. I don't know if it's South Seattle or Airport Way South, but it's Jules, J-U-L-E-S, Mays, M-A-E-S Saloon. Uh, I've never been there. But I hear it's a cool place. A woman named Maggie um, got in touch. She does some, I guess, some bartending there occasionally. And uh, she said, hey, this is a great place if you want to get together in Seattle. She's not going to be there, I guess. She's going to be on the road somewhere. But um, anyway, she hooked us up and looks like a great place. So that's where it's going to be. Jules Mays Saloon, Thursday, the 23rd of May at 7 p.m. Hope to see you there. All right. I uh, I don't really have much to say about the news, largely because I haven't been paying attention to the news, which has been interesting. Um, I'm just going to get right into this episode and then hit the road. I'm going to be in the woods for the next few days editing Civilized to Death uh, again. See, this is the thing. You write a book and you think you're done. You're not done. You're not even halfway done. You've got edits and then edits and then edits and then publicity and then interviews after luckily if you're lucky you get lots of interviews if not it just sinks without a trace and that's definitely a possibility we'll see um so i'm going to be for in the woods for a few days up around uh, mount saint helen somewhere don't know where yet i'll know when i get there just um sitting at a picnic table in some blm land next to a fire reading this book again and uh hopefully enjoying it (laughs) if i don't how can anyone else right uh yeah so that's it 
I'm just going to uh, play you out with an acoustic version of a song most of you will have heard. It's called Down Under. It's a song about uh, the hippie trail, which was um, what people, young hippie types, traveled back in the day in the 60s and 70s, went from Afghanistan down through Pakistan into India. Uh, yeah, lots of people took that hippie trail. Anyway, the song's called Down Under, and it's by Colin Hay, who was the lead singer and songwriter of the band Men at Work. Uh, this was a big hit in the 80s, I guess. Uh, but I really prefer this acoustic version. It's very funky, bare bones. Hope you dig it. Colin Hay, Down Under. I'll catch you in about a week. Hope to see you in Seattle if you're up around there. Bye. Traveling in a fried out combi On a hippie trail head full of zombies I met a strange lady She made me nervous She took me in and gave me breakfast She said Come from a land down under Women glow and men plunder Can't you hear, can't you hear the thunder You better run, you better take cover He was six foot four, full of muscle I said, do you speak my language, brother? He just smiled and gave me a Vegemite sandwich He said, I come from a land down under Where beaters flow and chunder Can't you hear, can't you hear the thunder? You better run, you better take cover
All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sitting in John Harrison's living room in San Diego, California. There's a gong. <laughs> There's a geode, a massive geode. What else do I see? I see uh, singing bowls, I think. Are those uh, Tibetan singing bowls over there? Yep. Yeah, some nice, some interesting stuff around here. And I already recognized the book, The Fellowship of the River, that I also have sitting around in my hovel. It looks like a backgammon board over there. It is. All indeed. right, backgammon. all right. There's chess. So uh, anyway, we were, as always <laughs> happens, we launched into a conversation while I was setting up the the recording gear and i had to interrupt john and say stop that's good shit man save that shit uh there's a on the door there's a uh, a poster of uh, entheogens master plant sacraments ayahuasca iboga psilocybin san pedro and peyote of which i have experienced uh three psilocybin ayahuasca and peyote never san pedro or iboga I haven't tried that up again yet. Yeah. No, no, I've mm. been, I, I interviewed, uh, oh, what's his name, uh, Dr., uh, he's a Mexican guy, had the Ibogaine Clinic in um, Tijuana for a while. Martin Polanco? Yeah, Martin. I Martin. know Martin, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Martin, that's right. Yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, I was down at the clinic before oh, okay. I hit the fan. Yeah. Well, it's, anyway, it's, it's good to be here. <laughs> Glad to it's have good you. to be here in my home. Yeah, and uh, you, as as you know, you and I have already talked about, like you fit into one of the major uh, fo- foci of this podcast, which is psychedelic research and clinical use, and and so on and so forth. So you were when I interrupted you, you were talking about how you were in a doctoral program at CIIS. That's California correct. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, Integral I was there. Study. I was uh, doing my. Uh, um, uh, my doctorate, my PsyD in clinical psychology, and I was in my pre-doctoral internship at the time uh, at a methadone clinic in Oakland, California, mm. where uh, I, I ended. I kind of landed there because. Because I'm a procrastinator, and it was it was the and when I finally got around to fi- signing up for my uh, internship, it was the only one left. No right. one wanted to go work at a methadone clinic. It right. turns out um, they were missing out because that turned out to be an amazing experience for me. And of course, that's how it ha- usually happens, and mm. kind of fall into it. And uh, I loved I loved working there. I loved the people. I quickly fell in love with them. And I had been a you know a well trained hippie in terms of drugs. I, I you know for me it was never the opiates the dark drug you know the bad drugs it was was like i was looking toward the um you know the the more enlightening quote-unquote drugs just like psychedelics for example other psychedelics where'd you grow up i grew up in la in the san fernando valley it was home right then uh, uh, like what when were you in high school i graduated in 1970 from high school? Yes. Really? Wow. Yes. You're don't older tell, than you look. Don't tell anybody. Yeah, I would have guessed you were like roughly my age. And, How old are you? I'm 10 years uh, younger than yeah, you. Yeah, I just I'm, turned 67 yeah. uh, a week ago. No shit, dude. You're, congratulations. You're in good shape. It's 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 the psychedelics. That's man. why I asked <laughs> you in that, in that sort of... That sort of backwards way, like you know, when yeah, you, you, you graduate, slipped right in there. Yeah, uh, you know, that's yeah, funny. No, yeah, that's great. Ah, it feels yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. So your your what's your regimen? <laughs> uh, hike every day. Hike every day. And I meditate. Keep moving. Hiking. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Keep moving. Yeah. And and um, I'm I'm trying to complete a, a book, a diet book, which is going to have all blank pages. That's titled Eat Less, Move More. Yeah. And it's all blank pages. It'll be a journal. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> 
So that that's my diet book. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, but so you're in this doctoral program. You're doing the methadone yes. at the methadone clinic. Yeah, uh, and uh, I'm working at the methadone clinic. And I, you know, like I said, I was. It was new territory for me. It was. Yeah. It was. It was. It was a new. Um, uh, feel that I had never really jumped into and I, I was drawn to addiction treatment anyway my brother who passed away from alcoholism mm -hmm. and it was in my family and then I was also drawn towards psychedelics I had been a Grateful Dead aficionado for a long time lots of tour time with the dead and lots of music in my life yeah. they, they went together with the psychedelics you know yeah. So uh, when the methadone clinic popped up, my own one of my only resistances was I had to be there at 5:30 a.m. every morning. So, so I had to get That's up at 4:30 a.m. because I lived in the city and I had to commute the opposite way to Oakland, California. Right. So across the bridge. So, um, but that, that I adjusted to that, you know. So the oh, the methadone clinic was a remarkable experience. I mean, uh, the the folks that I worked with there were almost invariably creative fascinating people mm. uh, I mean not all of them some were just had had lots of bad breaks and they were all there mostly because they were in some kind of serious pain right like whether it be emotional or physical pain right. so I uh, you know I had a lot of empathy for them of course and uh, you know and I because of my non-judgmental history and and we haven't gone into my history before I went to grad before I went to this program um i um you know i was pretty easygoing about it i wasn't judging them at all i was you know yeah absolutely not sure yeah you know gobber mate of course yeah he, he, I, I love his line about how addiction isn't the problem addiction's the person's attempt to solve the problem that's absolutely right yeah it's it's really about pain yeah and addiction doesn't cause the pain addiction takes it away for a minute right but then, of course, then that causes more pain, ultimately. That's the downside of that. Right. Uh, you know, Gabor is absolutely right. I remember my first conversation with him. I think it was in 13 at the MAPS conference up in Oakland. And we just, we met backstage. And, and he was great because he really was about relationship. And, and it's about con contact. Yeah. And those people that are isolated and lonely or f dealing with pain without a lot of support, they're wonderful candidates for addiction. Yeah. <laughs> they're prime candidates, right. you know. So... Um, so anyway, I, I I loved the work there, but I also started seeing pretty quickly at the methadone clinic the inherent cynicism in it, like the um, right. Yeah, you know, we got you now. First one's free, little girl. You know, uh, you know, it's like you know uh, the um, it's addicting. Methadone's methadone, addicting, right. very much so. Yeah, and 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 yet I thought we could do so much better. Uh, it, I certainly knew I could, and I just felt that as a society we can do so much better yeah. with these folks who are who are suffering. So uh, I was having this, I was in these ruminations at that time, and then almost simultaneously I did my first ibogaine in in Oakland, California. Under, it was an underground treatment. I don't even like that term underground, but it was definitely not overground. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's and, not legal uh, in the U.S., right? It's not. Yeah. Absolutely not, no. And um, that's another conversation, of course, but it's, it, should be, it should be legal everywhere. Sure. It's, yeah. it's a remarkable medicine tool for, for self-discovery and healing, really. Mm. And uh, anyway, so I, I did my first began, and it was a remarkable journey, and it was a, quite a ride. I highly recommend it to some people. It's not for everyone. 
Would you, is, do you recommend it primarily for people trying to deal with breaking out of addiction or self-discovery in general? I think that's a great question. I, I, I think it's both, actually. I think right. it, it's psycho-spiritual reasons. It's wonderful. It's like all psychedelics, I believe, can be a reset button. Like, oh, let's take another look at my life, hmm. at how I got here, and maybe where I'm going, right. possibly. And then, of course, then the other aspect of that is that uh, with addiction, uh, it, it unequivocally interrupts the cycle of withdrawal and craving. Mm. And that's, a mir- it is a miracle. Yeah. It, it's no joke. It's, it's a, it does work. It doesn't cure addiction. Nothing cures addiction. Right. That's, a, that's a story. That's a boondoggle of sorts. It's just not true. Yeah, but it, but it breaks the physiological cycle, mm-hmm. and if the person has therapeutic support and doesn't go back into the world and the patterns and the systems that led them into addiction in the first place, it's an opportunity to get off that highway. It's right? exactly right, yeah. and and that's a it's a perfect time after the uh, um, Ibogaine experience actually for. Uh, some uh, intervention in terms of a, a, co- a colleague, an ally, a therapist, yeah. uh, someone who can help you to help you. Right. Like, like in, as I like to say, I'm a, I work with people with addiction all the time. That's what I primarily do with my practice here in San Diego. So you have a PsyD at this point? I don't have a PsyD. I have a master's degree in clinical psychology. Oh, okay. And uh, I, when I left CIS, I was a candidate for a, for a doctorate. Right. Right. And I left there just a little hair's breath away right. from finishing, just writing my dissertation, which I've now fin- almost finished writing a long, long time after. I'm writing, a, I've written a book. I'm writing a book called yeah, Witness yeah, to yeah. Transformation. Careful, Wh- careful about hitting the table. Oh, sorry. Of the sorry. Mic. Yeah. Um, Witness to Transformation is the name of the oh, book. And nice. uh, it's about my work with Ibogaine primarily, oh. but other psychedelics too in Mexico. So I was just trying to nail it down because if there are people who would like to work with you, uh, in what capacity would they be able to do that? Well, first of all, they have to contact me, right? And we talk about it. Okay. I mean, I don't know. So you're I, licensed, like MFCC. I don't have a license. I'm okay. proudly unlicensed. So it's sort of a more of a coaching thing. Because I, I don't call it. Cali- co- I don't call it coaching. But in California, you have to be careful about the word psychology. Oh, you do. You therapist. you really do. Yeah. I just found that out last year. That's another part of the story. I was uh, going to tell you. Yeah, I was trying to be tell you. Careful about that. You yeah. do, and and you know, and I really like two of my favorite therapists, Stan Groff and Ralph Metzner, both yeah. dropped their license. Right, and uh, and I asked Ralph, "Why'd you do that?" He goes, "Oh, they can't take it away." Right. <laughs> exactly. So I, you know, there's yeah. some truth in that, you know. Yeah. So they're I'm, both good friends of my buddy Stanley Krippner. I know Stan. Oh, I've you met know him. Stan Krippner? I've oh, met him. He's yeah, my I was, mentor and grand Stan. I, I've no, I met him a few times. Yeah, I liked him. Character. I have respect for him a lot, yeah. big time. Yeah, yeah um, I'm glad he's still around. So, um, he's yeah. still around. He's got to be in his 90s, right? Uh, 80s. Man, he's probably 86 now. Yeah, yeah, I thought so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, So, where was I? So, so you're at CIS, you're the methadone clinic, you can do better. I did the Ibogaine. And, oh, you and did the I did the Ibogaine, right, right. and then I, uh, um, and then almost simultaneously, within a week after doing the Ibogaine, um, I, I ran into my old friend Rick Doblin, and he, and Rick taps me on the shoulder and goes, "Hey, would you like to be principal investigator for a, a pilot study investigating the efficacy of Ibogaine in the treatment of opiate addiction?" Mm. 
It's a week after your first experience. Um, within two weeks. Oh, wow. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> That's pretty great. I love yeah. the synchronicity of all uh-huh. of it, you know. And I said, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. And pretty much that's how long it took me to respond. And also, I was getting, frankly, as I was starting to allude to earlier, I was getting a little burnout on the methadone system. Yeah. The, they call it methadone maintenance. Yeah. So they're not even <laughs> aspiring to, to help you get out of addiction. They're just, like, trying to make it sustainable in some way. Well, so that's you, really true. It's like, yeah. it's like I became persona non grata because I would actually have conversations with my patients. I had a 35 patient caseload. Hmm. I was busy. Yeah. And I said, I would just broach the, broach the subject of, um, am I up close enough here? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, I broached the subject of the possibility of tapering or someday not using yeah. uh, methadone. Okay, yeah. and it got back to the administrators of the of the of the uh, um, clinic uh-huh. in Oakland, and they I was not I was not a positive pos, uh, a popular guy hmm. because it was messing with their story, right? And messing and with their program. Their yeah, well, some right. of it because they get all the it was it was, it was all government doles, you know, for yeah. the methadone clinic. So, but I realized, like I said earlier, we can do better. We can do better, and and I, I began. It seemed to me a, a way to do that. I wanted to know more about it, I, and I when Rick offered me this position, I took it. People who don't remember, Rick Doblin is the head of MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. He's been on this podcast once. And, oh, I uh, didn't know that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, he um, and he's he's. I see Rick as a historic figure. I I think he'll be remembered as a pivotal character mm-hmm. in the re respectability of psychedelics the clinical use the research certainly use. the mainstreaming he's i mean he's moved mountains that guy you know he's You've done a lot longer his, than i have but well yeah i, I, no, I have known him a long nuts. well he you know he's i call it his obsession yeah and he acknowledges that and uh you know when you get really when you get become obsessed you can get things done he sure as hell can. oh yeah he's raised 40 million dollars or something yeah. close to that um in in those Past what thirty? He's testified before Congress. He's met Obama. I mean, he's really. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a major figure. He went to Harvard School. Of he did. He School sure did. Yeah. yeah. You know, mm-hmm. he, what happened with Rick is I remember is he was in Florida. He took some mushrooms, I think. For yeah, the first new time. college. He was there in the early eighties. Yeah. Yeah, I know Rick's story pretty well. And he just yeah. like he he just felt I need to bring this to the world. This needs to be legal. Yeah, that was this his that was his mission. And he I was, think a lot of us like felt God that. Spoke to him. A lot of us felt that. Actually. I felt that. I yeah, felt me too. Like I wanted all my friends and my parents and everybody I love to trip. <laughs> the first time. It's I funny tripped. that it's funny that you're saying that. And the first time I did MDMA, uh-huh. which is like 1983. It was 1983. I'm a drummer. I can't help it. In 1983, uh, uh, I tried it, and I go, oh, this is really remarkable medicine. It's just opened my heart up a lot. Mm. And so I uh, I just almost exactly the same. I called friends. You got to try this. And and they all they all did. And the next thing they said, where can I get more of this? I said, yeah. I'll, I'll, get, I'll be in touch. You know, it was just an interesting story. It was still legal at that time. Probably. It was still legal. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. In 1983. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. So I went to Mexico and started working at a clinic down in Baja, mm. right, right over in Tijuana, implies to Tijuana. And I thoroughly enjoyed the process wow what an amazing gift that was to me i i met so many just 
fascinating people who some of them had been through long years of either methadone or just you know on the wagon off the wagon back and forth yeah. for a long time and I, as I said before about the folks I worked with at the methadone clinic, I came to really, really love these folks a lot. And and as as Gabor suggested in in our little conversation, and he has in books as well, that you know the essence of healing really isn't in the orientation or in the training of the therapist or or the degrees that the therapist has. It's really about the connection yeah. you have with the patient. Right. How much trust there is, how much empathy there is understanding and and a sense of um, we're in this together like when I work with patients my first thing I say is are you ready to work okay roll up your sleeves because it's going to be work and and if there is medicine involved like for example I began that's only the first step yeah that's that's the beginning right it's not the end it's not the fix you open the window and I have to climb through it Exactly. Good. That's a good one. Yeah. I like that. It's true. And as you were talking, I was thinking of the phrase "therapeutic alliance." Well, that's exactly it's what such it is. It's a great. Phrase it's a wonderful too. phrase. It's like, also a great experience yeah. <laughs> because yeah. you're doing this together with them. I, I ask. I, I, I tell patients this is one of my you know first meeting. I always say what we're going to do is try to help you to um, to uh, establish a collage of practices that you do mm. that that work for you. Yeah. It's not my prescription for you. What works for you? Yoga, um, music, right. um, meditation, exercise. This is a, it's, it's definitely not a one size fits all. The medicine can stop us, the medicine being Ibogaine particularly, but other ones too, can stop us from those habits that take us down the rabbit hole, mm. but they aren't the answer. It's like I, I, I was kind of, it's kind of corny, but I say, you know, it's, it, there are great tools in the toolkit, but they're not the house being built. They're not the mm. thing. Yeah. They are great tools. Yeah. And, and sometimes tools are useful to a point. Then there's time to put them away. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. and I think I feel that way about psychedelic medicine. Mm-hmm. I think it's great yeah. to a point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, is it uh, Alan Watts said when you get the, the message and hang up the phone? <laughs> That's funny that you're saying that because yeah. he did say that. And then I asked mm-hmm. Terrence one time in a private conversation. I used to know Terrence at Esalen uh-huh. yeah, back in the day. Let me get the door. <clears throat> I asked Terrence. So Terrence, what do you think about what do you think about that quote of Alan Watts when you, when I get the when you get the message hang up the phone? He goes, "I'm still getting good messages." <laughs> That's a good Terrence. <laughs> And yeah. and he meant it, you know. Yeah. He was still getting good messages, you know. Like I don't know how good they were. That well, whole time lapse bullshit he was doing there. You know what? It's, it's uh, he was letting his imagination roll, baby. He was letting it roll, and I paid twenty bucks to go hear him talk about it in San Francisco at, at New Year's <laughs> Eve, and it, I took all these friends of mine. Was like, that at a sh- at a concert place? It was in that Great uh, American Music Hall or something. No, it was down. At, I forget what it's called, Ma- Fort Mason. Oh sure, yeah. It was at Fort Mason. It was New Year's Eve, and you know, all these friends were like, "Oh, Terrence McKenna, he's this you know psychedelic visionary." What year was that? Do you remember? In '98, '99, maybe. Yeah. Oh no, no, no. Earlier. No, it was earlier. It was. Um, let's see. When did I live there? It was like '93, four. Oh, yeah. Okay, that somewhere would make sense. There. That would make yeah. sense. Yeah. He was getting sick by the '99. I know. Yeah. No, yeah. he wasn't. As far as I knew, yeah. he wasn't sick then. But yeah. 
Um, but he was doing that whole time wave zero thing. Sure, the, sure. Of course. You know, the novelty, the novelty. factors. Going. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I took these friends like, oh, and I think we were high. And it's going to oh, he's going to be talking <laughs> about tripping. And it's going to yeah. be this great psychonaut. And he, it was just this like mathematical, incomprehensible nonsense. Kind of like John Lilly uh, got into that kind of stuff. Too. Oh, yeah. The center I, of the cyclone is very hard oh, to I, read. Yeah, I, I've met Lilly a few times. Oh, have you? Oh, well, I used to live at Esalen. Oh, you lived at I Esalen. lived there back in the early, late 70s, early 80s. Oh, so you knew Michael Murphy. Oh, and, sure. Yeah. I, I know Mike. Yeah, his book, uh, what's the, the Future of Future the Body. Of the Body. That's a great mm-hmm. book. Yeah. Lots and I was I was stuff. closer to Dick Price, but I knew Mike. Um, yeah, I have a lot of history with Esalen, yeah. for sure. Absolutely. Well, I, I started telling you a little story about how I was asked to do a workshop there. Right. And I was totally unprepared. I, I didn't know how to fill all the time. <laughs> and the first day after like leading this five-hour seminar, basically, I realized, like, I got nothing for tomorrow. What am I going to do? And I said, uh, someone said, do you, is there any like homework you want us to do over the night? And I said, yeah, you know what? What I'd like you to do, all of you, is... Um, Either tonight or tomorrow morning before you come in, um, shit in your hand. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> like a John Lillyish thing. <laughs> Was that a John Lillyish? And I figured it would it would be good fodder for conversation, right? Like the people who were didn't want to do it. Why didn't you want to do it? And the people who well, did it, like, yeah. what was it like? I wasn't going to do that. or I, It was kind of interesting. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's such a weird... Because what I was talking about, wow, the point I wanted to make idea. is how culturally determined these things are and how arbitrary they are. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was thinking I'd lived in India for a while in different parts of Asia. And mm-hmm. you get used to wiping your ass with your hand. And then you come back here and it's like, roll up this paper and... Uh, it's like the dry it's like that's a terrible way to wipe your ass with fucking toilet paper anyway so i and it's like it it's in your body right mm-hmm. it's in your body sure then it comes out and it immediately becomes disgusting <laughs> you can't touch it that's right? so like funny you yeah, were yeah. touching mm-hmm. it you realize you were touching every yeah. part of that turd yeah five seconds in ago. your body in right. your body in your body yeah sure. yeah yeah <laughs> and now that's it's funny. like oh, okay so yeah so, so how did it turn out uh, well, the class was interesting. You know, about half of them did it and half of them didn't. And really? the conversation was interesting. That's impressive in itself. But then later, the, one of the administrators of SLN came to me at lunch and she said, did you actually ask people to defecate in their hands? And I said, yeah. She said, mm, that's not good. You, you, maybe you shouldn't do that anymore. <laughs> do you know who was it that said that? Remember. I'm this always curious about the administrators. Yeah, it was a, mm-hmm. I don't, I was a woman. I don't remember mm-hmm. really anything about her. But uh, yeah, after that, I thought, yeah, I'll never do another workshop at Esalen. And they'll never invite me. <laughs> <laughs> that may be true. Yeah, that's another conversation yeah. about Esalen. But, uh, cool place, though. I, I, oh, beautiful spot. Changed my life. I mean, I've, I've met the most amazing people there. Most of them are gone now, but Gregory Bateson was there. Uh, Gregory Julian Margaret Silverman. Mead's, uh husband for yeah, a while. That's right. And she yeah. was his wife. <laughs> she was and, indeed. And, and then uh, who else? Uh, gosh. And, and their daughter is a, a writer. Nora. Nora. Nora's a really dear friend. She's oh. actually a really good friend. I actually just talked with her oh, a couple months ago. She, she wrote a book called Smaller Arcs of Larger Circles. It's oh. about systems theory. Mm. She's a remarkable person. Lovely woman. And very, very, very bright. Yeah. And yeah. So, 
Uh, but she was a kid there when I was at Esalen. Yeah. And her her dad was a resident scholar. Bateson was a scholar, resident Catherine scholar. Catherine Bateson, is that another? That's daughter? her sister. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And in fact, Catherine, I think, was the daughter of Margaret and Gregory. Right. And Nora was had another mom. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, um, yeah, Esalen, Esalen was a wonderful source for me. That's where, like I said, I, th- I mentioned I met Rick there. On July fourth, nineteen eighty-six, oh. I was doing workshops with Ola Tunji, drumming with Baba, Baba Tunji, Ola Tunji, hand drums, djembe, oh. and um, and Fourth of July celebration. Right. So good so times. You are a drummer, a real drummer, mm-hmm. not just the guy who hits the table. Well, I, yeah. I now I consider myself a guy who hits the table. <laughs> <laughs> you were but, once a drummer. Uh, well, yeah, I'd like to get back into more into drumming. I'm yeah. actually buying a cajon, which is a. Uh, Drum uh, for a box, primarily. yeah, yeah. cajon yeah, Spanish. That's right, yeah. That that's you right. sit on and you play that's the right. front of it. Yeah, yeah. those are cool. They are cool. They're great for flamenco. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I'm pretty involved in the flamenco community here in oh, San Diego. Oh, are you? Yeah. Huh. A yeah. good friend of mine, uh, have you ever heard of Tal Ruspoli? I know that name. He's um, a filmmaker. Yeah, and, uh, I he, knew he was he, kind of famous. He lives, uh, well, he did live in Venice for a long time, but now he has property out near Joshua Tree. And oh. uh, his father, he's been on the podcast. He's a good buddy of mine. Oh. His father was um, a famous Italian prince who hung out with Salvador Dali <laughs> oh, and my goodness. Bardot wow, and, yeah, I know. and I don't Keith know Richards. No. Oh, okay. Anyway, he met Keith Richards. He tells this story on the podcast if people want to go back to the archives. <laughs> um, he plays flamenco guitar fantastically well. Tao That's, does. Tao does. And I asked him why, because his dad's Italian, his mom's American, right. and... Um, and he said, well, when I was 11, my dad took me uh, to meet Keith Richards, who was his buddy. The Stones were playing in Rome. Mm-hmm. We went to the hotel. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad said, hey, Keith, uh, Tao's learning guitar. And Keith handed me a guitar and said, play something for me. So I played for Keith Richards. And he said, hey, you're pretty good, kid. You should learn flamenco. Because if you can <laughs> play flamenco, you can play anything. And he said... Keith Richards tells you to learn flamenco, you learn flamenco. And that just set... And now he, he lived in Sevilla for years. He made a That's beautiful That's where my friend film. Lakshmi Basile, she's, she's from San Diego. She's a, a famous flamenco dancer who went to Spain and became famous in Spain. Ah. And she's now here in San Diego. But Lakshmi's an Indian name. Lakshmi's right? her parents named her Lakshmi. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's just because they like the name. Oh, all right. And her parents are wonderful friends of mine, dear friends. Right. Yeah, Jeff and Piojo. Oh, and, cool. Yeah, they're dear, dear, dear friends. And Lakshmi just saw her last week. Have you heard of the Bombay Beach Biennale? No. Okay, we'll talk about that okay, afterwards. We'll do that, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a celebration of surrealism and art and intellect in a post-apocalyptic landscape at the Salton Sea. Oh, wait, I have heard of this. Tao's one of the founders of it. It's, oh, it's yeah, like we should talk early about that. Let's, let's definitely touch yeah, on that subject. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so where were we? We were in Esalen, Rick Dobbs. Well, I went to Mexico and worked in the clinic. speaking, by the way. We, <laughs> well, that's, probably, that's appropriately named. I, good to, <laughs> it's good like name an for estuary. Your, good name no for your report. podcast, yeah, Chris. Exactly. Um, yeah, it sure is. Uh, anyway, yeah, so I went down there and I just, like I said, it was it was a revelation. I And you dropped your program at that point. Well, I, I guess I did drop it. I didn't drop it intentionally. I just did something else. Right. You know, I wasn't like saying no to the program. Right. I wanted to come back to it. Right. And I'm still in the process of negotiating that. That's another conversation. Yeah. But it's a story because it's important because um, I, I, the training I got was valuable as sure. a clinical psychologist. Yeah. I, I, I um, 
you know, I, I learned about ethics. I learned about boundaries. Mm. I learned about um, uh, psychopathology. Yeah. I, I, those are invaluable. As How any long were you there? Oh, too long. <laughs> I was there about, oh gosh, off and on about seven years. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. yeah. Uh, more off and on sometimes. Yeah. But then I was, like I said, I got, um, I, I was following whatever grabbed me at the time. And when I went to work at the methadone clinic, I didn't realize I was going to like it so much. Were you but, in your 30s then, 20s? Oh, goodness, no. I was um, in my... Uh, when I went to the methadone clinic, I had just turned 50. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. So it's pretty recent. Well, eight, 20 years, 18 years ago. That's recent for me, man. <laughs> okay. Don't, we're not going to talk about my age, though. Too much. <laughs> well, my, my I'm going to blow my cover, Chris. Yeah, I know. I just My birthday was a couple, like a week ago. So I'm sort of like conscious of the, the passing of time. Oh, what's your birthday? Uh, Mid-February, the 13th. Oh, I'm the 25th. Uh, yeah, yeah. Aquarius. Okay. Idealist. Yeah, 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 yeah. sure. So what were you doing before grad school then? I mean, if this is 50, like, what were well, you yeah, doing in your 20s? Okay, with the chronology, well, this is the story. I mean, I'm going to back up a little bit then because the, the 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 clinic in Mexico was a big, big... That experience of working with people with addiction was profound, Right. actually. But prior to coming back to grad school, I came back in 19... Or actually, what was it, 99? Uh, I had been in prison, mm. and uh, that's a story. And so, b to back up a little even further, um, before that, I was living in. I uh, went to school in Santa Cruz and became. I uh, got my doc. Uh, not my doctor. My bachelor's degree at UC Santa Cruz in psychology. Ran out of high school. No, no. I went uh, after high school. Okay, we're going to go back further now. <laughs> we're going the other direction. I love it. That's, That's all good. right. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah, find yeah, our way yeah, home. Yeah. So basically, when I, I graduated high school in 70, and then I went to um, UCLA, and then I um, bounced around a little bit. Uh, I was married, got divorced, then uh, ended up um, moving to Esalen Institute in 1977. Uh, and yeah, I was a work scholar. So you were born in what fifty two? Yes. So how old are you then? Yeah, I so really are blowing my cover, aren't you? Well, Chris? I mean, I'm just trying to locate <laughs> you. No, because you're the perfect age. I I grew up feeling that I was a little too young to be in the party. I saw oh. my aunt, who was who's uh -huh. about eight years older than in me. In the party. She was in the party. She had all these funky friends and yeah. a van and a, you know, and a German shepherd. And her husband was cool. And they listened to Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Mm -hmm. And my parents were listening to Perry fucking Como, you know. So I'd go <laughs> Frank Sinatra. I Perry Como. Yeah, I mean, no, you know, yeah, my no. parents were great people, but they yeah. weren't in the party. And we'd go visit my aunt, and it's like, fuck. Yeah, this I was definitely in the party. Happening. Yeah, if I were just ten years older, I'd yeah. be getting laid and having so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the seventies were fun because yeah. it was pre-AIDS. Yeah, and right. it was a lot of uh, libertines running around, people right. that were just feeling their bodies, feeling them, feeling themselves coming to fruition. I love the seventies, um, and I, I got divorced at just the right time, mm, yeah. <laughs> and then I moved to Esalen in Big Sur, which is like the epicenter of the whole counterculture. Movement. It was, uh, as I say, I got in Esalen. I studied uh, what did I say? I just studied uh, Gestalt, bodywork, and ethical hedonism. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the big three. The big three: ethical hedonism. Yeah. So it's true, actually, and and I I loved my time there, uh, and then I left Esalen. I thought, well, I'm going to go back and get my Degree. This is before I went to college. I went to UC, UCLA, and then I left UCLA, and then I was living in Big Sur for several years. 
bouncing around a bit, doing this and doing whatever I had to do to survive. And uh, worked on one of the first pot plantations ever, mm. um, trimming buds in, in, the, in the late 70s. Up in Humboldt or in Big Sur? No, this Sur? is in Big Sur. Yeah. And Big Sur was sort of the real, the real home of, of a lot of Sensimia in this country. Yeah. And it was called the Big Sur Holy Weed. Mm. That's what we called it. Anyway, so then I left. Then I then I go. I, I think I want to go back and finish my bachelor's because I I felt like I had other things to do than just be stoned all the time, yeah. <laughs> which wasn't bad. But I needed to do some. I wanted to do something more productive with my life, and right. and so I went back to Santa Cruz and went to school there, and uh, loved it. Loved this. Loved the the, the um, program there. I, and I bonded with one of the professors, Dr. Frank Barron who uh, was actually Tim Leary's a uh, really good friend. Hmm. And um, and Frank, I would go to his corner office. He had the big corner office because he was a, a senior professor. And he would just regale me with stories about him and Tim and psychedelics, him and, him and Tim and psychedelics. And um, uh, I, I, I was enthralled, of course, you yeah, know. And then, sure. and, and then... Uh, and he wanted to hear my stories, which made him even more interesting to me because he mm. was so interested. Yeah. You know, so we talked a lot about my time at Esalen. I feel like I've read a book by him or I know his He name wrote The Psychology of Creativity. Okay. And, uh, oh, I don't know. I'll, other, other books, too, I can't yeah. come to mind right yeah. now. But he was brilliant and, and just a very great, great Irish storyteller mm. of the Irish tradition, you know, mm. the... He loved, you know, uh, I remember talking about Finnegan's Awake with him and uh, right. James Joyce and 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 just uh, uh, Wayne Butler Yeats was his mm. favorite poet. Yeah, mm -hmm. one of my favorites. Yeah, he's yeah. this wonderful man. And, and he really inspired me a lot. Mm. Uh, and we I took classes with him on theories of Carl Jung and the psychology of creativity and right. that kind of thing. And just really enjoyed Frank. And... and uh, one day he was so kind to invite me to join him and Tim Leary for lunch wow. in Santa Cruz, oh, nice. which was quite an honor and a I'll thrill bet. for me. Yeah. Very heady stuff. Tim was hilarious, by the way. So, what year is this? Had to be nineteen. Let me guess. Nineteen eighty-three, eighty-four. Oh, okay, so this is well after. Tim had been in jail and all. Oh, the sure, run yeah. This is this. Is, he was still around. Yeah. At that time. But he was sort of emeritus at that point. I guess. <laughs> well, he was becoming one pretty yeah. rapidly. Yeah. yeah. Do you and know Zach? His his son Zach. I, I Zach's a friend on Facebook. We've never met in person, uh, but I know who Zach is. He does a podcast too. Yeah. And I, I've been on his, and he's. Oh, been on really? Mine. Yeah, I the like podcast Zach. Podcast world's very incestuous. It is. Isn't it funny? <laughs> yeah. I just listened to Eric Davis's the other day. He's uh, a great guy. Yeah. Um, but um, no, I'd like to meet Zach actually. And and yeah. we we were going to get together one time because he's a big Dodger fan and I'm a huge Giant fan and I was just going to go to give him a hard uh, time. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Yeah. So um, so well, you're in school. You're with Frank Barron. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I went to UC Santa Cruz and then yeah. and after that I I decided to apply to grad school and I applied to CIS and was accepted in the master's program initially there in the ICP program Integral Counseling Psychology. And uh, I loved it right away, the school there. And my first class I took ever took in grad school was a class by taught by Ralph Metzner. Yeah. And it was called Altered States of Consciousness. Yeah. It was kind of perfect. You know, it was, like, it was just, okay, I, I belong here. I they think. were still on the hate then, and the hate ashbury Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. They were yeah, on I ashbury. did some classes there. When oh, I started grad school, I, I oh, went to okay. CIS and did... Uh, <clears throat> 
Two or three classes there. Yeah, that was on Ashbury. Yeah, yeah, that was an old the old building there. It's nice. And they had the, uh, was it the Alan Watts Library or the? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he was stuff. he was the first dean. Yeah. Of of uh, it was called the American Academy of American of Asian Studies, American right. Academy of Asian Studies. Right. Then yeah. back in the day, yeah. So yeah, you know, and I was a huge Alan Watts fan too. Yeah. So. Um, anyway, so uh, then left, was going to school there, and then uh, um, st- was on dead tour a lot. And then I, you know, got into the, uh, the business of, um, of um, distributing medicine to friends. You were a pharmacist. You might say that. Un- unlicensed An Unlicensed, very much unlicensed Your pharmacist. friendly neighborhood uh, underground pharmacy. Yeah, kind of like that. But the so, truth of the matter is, I was, I was, you know, it was strictly, in my view, uh, very conscious and positive work that I was doing. Right. I, I was making money at it. There's yeah. no question. But then I, I, um, a roommate of mine was arrested for distributing LSD. Is that what you were selling? No, I never sold that in my life. Was it mushrooms? And, right. and, yeah, right. No, it's talk, okay. Don't, I know. Don't so it's anything, ancient yeah. history. I already did yeah. the time. Yeah, <laughs> it's a long time ago. Yeah. No, the thing is, is that I uh, I did move some mushrooms and and mostly marijuana and mushrooms and MDMA. Mm. That's what I did back in the early, or actually late eighties. Mm. Yeah, right. mid to late eighties, maybe a little bit in the early nineties. I got arrested. Um, was I was arrested for something I didn't do. So you and prosecuted your roommate knocked on you no 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 in fact he did the opposite he he said it wasn't mine and it wasn't uh-huh. what they found and he did he did not eight and a half years so you it. got busted just because you were in the apartment it was in my house was it was found. a house in bonnie dune and i was arrested and uh uh they it's a long story but it's it's, it's all going to be in my book which is all about my time as a fugitive and yeah. as in prison. Oh, you're a fugitive as well. Oh, I haven't gotten there yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, you're you, just I'm telling you, these hints, man. there's a lot of there's a lot of stories here, man. I mean, literally. <laughs> I, 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 I remember one that I was day, one that I was at a part uh, at a conference with Dennis McKenna and a few other good friends, and I remember I started telling the story. It took me two and a half hours in the kitchen, sweet over wine, nice. and with the with the gang. And well, Dennis goes, "You got to publish that." Yeah. Well, so Dennis has been on the podcast. Too. Oh, I'm not surprised. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, so great. Uh, where was I? So um, you were talking about being going on tour with the Dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's right. Pharmacy. So, I, so then I got in trouble. Like I said. Um, but they they prosecuted me for some LSD that was my roommate's. And he, like I said, did lots of time. He did not narc on me. Uh, they just made the assumption that I was w- working with him because it was in the house. Because I was in the house. He was right. in this big house that I was the owner of. I own this beautiful home in Bonnie. They yeah. thought I was the kingpin. Right. <laughs> How much acid? Did they oh, find? I don't even know. It was it was some bottles of liquid that were yeah. that were his, and uh, he. Um, he when he, when it came down to coming back to my sentence or my my trial, he he they asked him was it was this yours or John's and he goes well it wasn't John's. Hmm. He didn't say it was his because he didn't want to get more time. He thought right. he was concerned they were going to give him more time. Right. And so he didn't say that. He he just did that, and it wasn't enough to sell the jury on my innocence. I was thought for sure I was going to walk hmm. because of that, and I was not guilty. Yeah. That's the irony of the story is that I never sold LSE in my life. Right. Not that I have anything against it. I actually like it, but mm-hmm. in moderate moderation, of course, and selectively. But um, anyway, so uh, 
I was convicted. Uh, this is like a month after my brother had died of alcoholism. So my family was kind of double. It was a double whammy yeah. with the family. And I was, I was, um, I never really had a chance at that time, at least, to process his loss. Right. He was my closest brother. There's a picture of him over here. I'll show you. This is, this is me and my, my brother Jim. That's Jimmy on the left there. So, you know, I didn't have a chance to process that. Mm. Yeah. That's how, a, how, how long before he died is this? That was about eight years before he died. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. So, um, I had hair then. <laughs> and, a, and a pretty funky looking shirt too it's like, a, like a purple oh yeah it was a funky it was, it was a psychedelic shirt yeah. absolutely I was, I was one of the few times any picture of me with a tie on yeah I was going to say were you at a wedding or something it was my brother's wedding Oh, okay. my brother Robbie's wedding oh, his how, first wedding how many siblings do you I have four, uh, five siblings four living uh, my brother Jimmy's passed and there's uh, Rob and then there's uh, David uh, Will and my sister Barbara one girl twin she's a twin of will billy oh, and barbara oh interesting. Yeah, yeah yeah they're cute so uh yeah they're the youngest so i'm the yeah. oldest oh, okay. of six yeah mm -hmm. so that must have been a rough time for your parents it was really rough for and everybody. it was really of course yeah I mean, and my 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 father especially was devastated by it and and so uh yeah it's a it's a story of uh crazy loss and there's an allegory here about the drug war it's just, it's it's like hmm. silly loss and silly silly is even too nice a word for it it was tragic really in some ways yeah he you was know. lost to the legal drug and you were lost to the <laughs> well, far less toxic which is the irony of course of course is the great research that stan Grof is involved in which shows that lsd can really help alcoholism yeah so yeah. ironic there's a well, lot of irony here on top of irony always and didn't the one of the the founders of AA, Bill Wilson. Bill Wilson. Yeah, right? Bill he W. Had, uh, oh yeah, he he was a big he was a big fan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you know, so at that point, I was like, um, uh, I was convicted in in federal court, and I, I'll never forget my. I came home that night, and I was out on bail still, which is in itself remarkable, because I was looking at at least fifteen years. What was the bail? Hundred thousand dollars. How'd you come up with that? Some friends signed for it, and uh, I, I signed for my house, and they never came collecting the bail after. It, well, I'll tell you that story in a minute because right. I hit the road. You know, right. I don't want to spoil the ending here. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so. You're not on bail. You get convicted. You're looking I got, at 15 I, years. I'm you're looking, not sentenced yet. I'm not sentenced. I'm in, in, in that you know limbo between the end of the trial and sentencing. Right. This is a few months. Yeah. And this was like the, over winter 1993. 9293. Like I said, my brother had just passed. So I'm um, at that point, I'm on the um, uh, I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen. My uh, my I asked my lawyer called me up one day and finally he said, uh, hey, they just made a request for the judge denied all of the motions. We had a motion for mistrial, new trial, and, and prosecutorial misconduct, which were all very valid. But this is like the height of the drug war. And, and there was just very little chance of getting any traction there with that. So uh, my lawyer says, a uh, very high-priced lawyer, I might add. <laughs> uh, he came in and he said, well, this is what's going on. They want you to come to a court for a bail revocation hearing. 
Um, but the, the judge's calendar is full today. Um, so we're going to have to reschedule for a, a week from tomorrow, a week from Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. And then I, I, I said, what do you think the chances are of me walking out the front door, not in cuffs, after that hearing? He goes, about 3%. Hmm. So I, you know, I thought about it for about 10 minutes. I go, I'm not going to sign up for slavery. What do I do? How do I do that? How do I sign up to be a slave for 10 yeah. or 15 years? It's just not in my imagination or lexicon or concept of any way, shape or form. Yeah. So I, I, at that point, I um, basically got together with my friends and uh, we had what they called lovingly the Last Supper. <laughs> it was a, I had this big, beautiful house in Bonnie Dune, gorgeous place, uh, ocean view, private road, this mm-hmm. gorgeous place. And um, we had a big party. And then uh, I, the night I was going to leave, I, the night before my trial, no, two nights before my trial, was, travel, I mean, the revocation hearing, excuse me, it was going to be Wednesday. Monday night, I went to my friend's house to spend the night. Tuesday morning, I got in his car and we drove to Los Angeles. And, 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 and there, therein began my um, odyssey uh, on the lamb, on the, on, the, on the road. Did you have your passport? Uh, a bit I had, yeah, I did, but I, had, I get, had to get a whole new ID. I had, prior to my, prior to the actual um, trial and sentencing, or the hearing, I, um, I, had, I had secured a birth certificate of a dead infant. Mm. And I made it into microfilm. I mean, excuse me, it was from microfilm. Is when mm, I got the, you got the it birth printed. certificate. Yeah, right. and so then I made a. I got. I ordered the birth certificate off of that. Right. And uh, then built a an ID, which was much easier to do than pre nine eleven. Right. And I had ancillary IDs like Mad, and I had a credit card, and. Um, <clears throat> I built a new ID and, and then I hit the road and, and I didn't have a whole lot of money. I think I had about $40,000 total uh, and it doesn't go very far. Yeah. And so I ended up moving to Oregon and um, I mean, I could go on and tell you the whole damn story. <laughs> sure, but but it, it was an interesting time. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't recommend it being a fugitive, but I tell you what, it changed my life in a lot of ways. It was probably very, very good for me. In what sense? I really sure appreciated my freedom. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's You're no question about of that. It every day. Oh yeah, every day. Yeah. yeah. Freedom is is pretty darn sweet, and um, and that doesn't mean um, to be a robot. It means to acknowledge your freedom and to live being free, mm. which means occasionally taking risk, right? And doing things that are always not so easily and so predictable, right? And so I I'm I feel very fortunate. I was everywhere I went. People would open their homes to me, and and their hearths and their homes. And and I, interestingly, I chose those people on my outer concentric circles of my life because I didn't want to choose the people that were closest to me because they were nervous. Mm. And uh, it would be harder to make the case that they didn't know about my status. So, did the people that you were seeing knew your your situation? Every, oh yeah, I was forthcoming uh-huh, about it really? with them, but yeah, uh-huh. confidentially, of course. Right. But I had to tell them I wasn't gonna. I didn't want anyone to feel like I misled them. Was there a reward out for your? No, arrest? it turned out that well to be crude about it, that no agency really had a hard on for me. Right. 
<laughs> because right. they just didn't have the energy or resources. Right. I mean, it was I, I was federal, so I was way below the level of an FBI or a federal mm. marshal like manhunt. Mm. I was not even in that league. And so, and and local cops didn't want anything to do with me. They didn't know who I was or where from or how. Right. So I was in that weird limbo. I didn't know this at the time, of course. Right. I had no you knowledge thought everyone's of this. Looking for you. I thought everyone. Was, I'm looking over my shoulder. You know, I was like, wow. pretty crazy. Yeah. Did you ever get pulled over for speeding or anything during that time? No, I didn't. I'm. I, I usually obey all traffic laws. Oh, Chris, <laughs> I'm a good citizen. You don't want. I'm a good citizen. I mean, but you yeah. can have a tail light out, you know. No, I know. I, I was very happen. careful, though. Yeah. I, I, I went to extra, but I had a driver's license yeah. at this time. Yeah, I had still, I imagine that would be a really nervous situation. Oh, no yeah. question. Yeah. No, and well, that's a story too. How we ended up finally getting caught, and that's a whole other story. It could go on for another two hours. You got some time? <laughs> I got plenty of time. <laughs> you I might have to edit this time. one, make it a two-parter. Yeah, um, How long are this web, web, uh, the podcast? An hour? An hour to an hour and a oh, half. Oh yeah. Generally, well, but yeah, so I, that's the beauty of podcasting, dude. Like the package expands to hold <laughs> whatever you put in it. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of fun. Yeah. So you know, I. Um, what happened was is that I was on the lam and I didn't know what I didn't know what I was going to do where I was going to go the money was running out um yeah. could you and, work with that ID oh what am I going to do McDonald's I mean I could work yeah. but I I didn't really I I you know I I was definitely um a bit of a desperado you might say mm. um and you know I wasn't really ready to to just um you know, work in a cubicle or do something like that. I, 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 I wanted to come back. That was always in my idea. It was very vague. It wasn't come clear. Come back to what? To, to I wanted to come back to this world with my real name. Oh. Oh, I didn't tell you the story. I forgot to mention that my father asked me the night of the of the of the conviction. I remember coming home that night to my house with my dad. My dad was so great through the process, and um, he. He says, well, what are you going to call yourself in this new life? He didn't really want to accept that I was going to be a fugitive, but he was trying to do his best to process it. And uh, he, he said, what are you going to call yourself? It's so practical, you know, it's so classic, his generation. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, I don't know, Dad, you got any ideas? He goes, why don't you call yourself Caleb? I said, Caleb? That's an unusual name. Why would I? Why would I do that? He goes because he was the right hand of Joshua, who was beloved of God. Mm. It's kind of emotional for me because yeah. I remember my dad. Uh, we were sitting in my house, and he said, "And uh, just the two of us." And and my brother had just died. Remember, and I he, he said, "I'm going to lose you too." <laughs> yeah that was real I said oh, you can't lose me you're stuck with me <laughs> and uh, it turned out that um, one of my nicknames from Dead Tour in, in the old days was Coyote it's one of my nicknames um, and uh, of course Caleb I looked that up my dad had no idea what the name actually means it means literally dog really? in the Hebrew and yeah. and the, and that's the literal translation. And then the the, the more um, poetic, you might say, interpretation of that. The three the words that came up about Caleb were bold, faithful, and impetuous. 
Mm. There you go. Pretty good for a fugitive. Yeah. Pretty required. <laughs> <laughs> Faithful to your home, though, ultimately. Yeah. Faithful to the ones that you love. Faithful yeah. to your family and the people that you care about so much, you know. Could you be in contact with them while you were... Very, very little. Almost none. It was. It made my parents, especially my... It made them very uncomfortable, both of them. For you to call? Yeah, yeah, no. They, I, they, they just didn't want to... And I didn't want to make anyone uncomfortable. Right. That was kind of one of my major yeah. jobs when I was... When I was in that status, uh, to to make everyone around me as comfortable as possible, and one way to do that was not to create anything that would make them think there was anything, any reason for anyone to come down on them. Right. So I just was really, really careful about that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I yeah, but I had to make a living when I'm on the on on the lamb, right? Yeah. So uh, I found a friend with uh, who was a brilliant, a brilliant uh, mycologist. And uh, he uh, he said, "Why don't we grow mushrooms?" <laughs> well, sure, step it up. You know, when the going gets weird, the weird turn pro. Yeah. To quote Hunter Thompson. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of like that. Let's take it to the next level. Let's uh, <laughs> up the ante a little bit. Is this in Oregon. This is in Oregon. Yeah. That's correct. It's on the McKinsey River. Uh. And a friend of mine, I won't mention his name. He actually helped me get a house. And uh, if you're listening. I'm thinking of you. <laughs> and uh, He may be. He Well, he may be. That's true. He he pretty sure will when I tell him to listen Good. to it. This is not live, obviously. Not no, live. no, I know. No, I'm glad. No. So anyway, he, um, uh, he got, we got a house together, and we ended up turning a two-car garage into a very lucrative payday. I won't get into all of that too much specifically, even though it's ancient history and it's way beyond any kind of prosecution. But... It was a great experience mm. growing um, psilocybin. Yeah. It was a great experience for me. Uh, what a magical thing that is to watch these, you know, these three foot phalluses rise to the light. They get that big? Oh yeah, when they're when they're still wet. Wow. When they're growing, oh, I this see. is pre drying. Right. Oh yeah, right. they get big. I try. I, I bought uh, spores in mm -hmm. syringes one time. Sure, yeah. But I never Spot. got around to like sterilizing and the rice cakes and all that. Oh, I just yeah, carried yeah, the, yeah. the syringes around for sure. years. Yeah, well, that's a good way to do it. That's yeah. a way to do it. Yeah. yeah. This, this was probably 25 years ago or something. It's about so, my room. Yeah. It's about that time. It was about, How like, did I buy them? I, online? Maybe because the spores have no psilocybin in them. So you could buy That's it right. Oh, yeah, it was or, quite legal. Or, there was no online then. It must have been in a magazine. It was... For High Times. Probably. Prob probably. From the back of probably, High Times. Yeah, yeah. They, were, yeah. they were running around, and I really enjoyed the process, and we were very, very successful with it. Yeah. And it basically made it possible for me not to have to worry about money for several years. Right. If I didn't want to. And my, my big master plan was to... To do one more time, make enough money to go to Costa Rica, buy some property, mm. meet a beautiful Costa Rican girl, and live happily ever after. Pura vida. <laughs> <laughs> that was my big dream, you That's know. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah and then um, and then the story about how we got apprehended was an interesting story, or mm. how I got apprehended. Uh -huh. So we did this very successful grow there on the McKinsey River, and uh, which is a little east of um, Springfield, Eugene area. It's right out there, mm. going toward Bend. Right. Lovely, lovely area. Beautiful area. Toward right near some hot Crater Lake. Pardon me? Toward Crater Lake. No, Crater Lake would be further south. That's further and, south. Okay. Yeah, more, uh, I think, west. 
right. believe. Right. No, this would be east of Eugene. Right. Um, and uh, but beautiful. Oh yeah, green. And we I lived we lived right on the Mackenzie River, literally on the river. Mm. So we could fish off the the deck on the back. Wow. And we compete with the osprey for the steelhead. Oh, nice. Osprey would go diving and they would get them. Yeah. It would be much more successful fisher yeah. fishermen than we were. But anyway, so um, I did that. I was there for about a year. It's a quick turnaround with psilocybin, right? Yeah, but it's from the time you actually uh, put them in trays and get them going, it's about two and a half months. Mm, you know, okay. after you build the room and everything, you so do that first. It's not that quick. It's about well, the same two, as two, weed, two, two to two and a half months. Yeah. So that's pretty quick. But you know, and, and in those days, we, you know, how do we get rid of them? Well, we had the built-in distribution network called the Grateful Dead tour. Right. <laughs> So that made it really, really easy. Yeah, but the us. cops are also watching that. Oh sure, yeah. absolutely. But but it, but you know, I mean, it was, you know, it was all. It felt like family, friends mm. and family. You know, for the most part, that's one thing about Dead Tour. You felt this undercurrent of connection with everybody. Right. You know. So anyway, so um, we put it aside. I went. I, I took the rest of the year off. I I went climbing. I went climb Mount Rainier. Which is up in Washington State, yeah. in a beautiful mountain, by the way. Yeah. I, I, I was a mountaineer already. Yeah. Did some mountaineering and climbing and loved it. You know? How high is Rainier? Sorry? How high is it? It's 14,000, about 14,500, I think. It's a 14er, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah something, it's a little bit smaller than, I think, than, than Whitney. Of course, it is smaller than Whitney. Just, mm. just a few hundred feet. Right. Yeah. And um, anyway, so... Um, uh, Climbed that and, and just traveled a bit. Went to New York City, you know, and just, you know, basically went to Vegas. <laughs> I was being a little bit cavalier, honestly. When I think back on it now, why did I do that? Why didn't I just meditate in my house? You know? yeah. I was I was still kind of young and a little crazy, maybe. But anyway, I have no regrets about that because it was it, it brought me to where I am now. And and so what happened though was is that. We when we we were gonna we were starting to ramp it up to do it again the following year the grow we can do it once a year you know and uh, it would put us over the top in terms of cash flow and then I was gonna hopefully go to Costa Rica like I said and uh, and I missed my family throughout all this process and one thing I noticed is that I I, I suppressed a lot of those a lot of my sadness a lot of my pain. And uh, that percolated up in dreams mm. that I that I only recently, less three years ago, I, I was still having recurring dreams about being chased. Mm. And uh, pretty gone now. Feel, feels clear. But anyway, it was t- difficult because I was definitely, you know, I didn't want to show, like I said, I didn't want to show my nervousness or fear to anyone because then it would make them afraid. So I had to be, kind of keep it. Run a tight ship, so to speak. You yeah. Know? So anyway, so I we were ramping up to start growing again, and then I, uh, um, we decided, well, let's let's upgrade, and we're gonna we're gonna paint all the trays with latex paint now, instead of the water-based paint. It's kind of boring, but I'm gonna tell you because it's part of the deal. So we were painting them, and then we we painted the trays, and we had to do it in the garage. Where we were growing, and because there was heat in the garage, we had to have heaters on. There was a lot of steam coming out the windows, and we think a neighbor. That's the only way we. It's the only thing we came up with that a neighbor saw the steam coming out the window, 
and called the police. Thought it was on fire or something? Thought it was a marijuana grow or something. I don't know what they thought, honestly. I don't know. There was never any testimony around that. They called the Lane County Sheriff's, the Sheriff's in Oregon, and they, they came to our house and they came to the gate at the front gate and at the in the gate they said um uh i said can i help you guys with anything they were in plain clothes i said well with lane county sheriffs we think you're growing marijuana here can we come check it out and i go well you got a warrant and he said we can go get one we'll put somebody here until we do i said um come on down did a little tai chi move there a little aikido move don't fight it let them welcome them in so they came down, looked in the garage. There was spotless. There was nothing in there because we had cleaned it. But it's all painted white. All you got painted. Lights. Like, you know, what are you doing in here? <laughs> sure, what is this? looks what, like what, a what, is, what is this about? What yeah. are you guys doing here? Oh, my, fr- my friend that I'm leasing the house from, um, he um, grows oyster mushrooms here. That's what I told him. Right. And they said, we don't believe that. <laughs> they didn't believe a word. I said, well, you know, and ch- look around. And so we want to go in the house. He didn't have a warrant. Okay, go in the house, mm. and they looked around. They they did find some petri dishes with some spawn on them mm. in our refrigerator, um, but they didn't find. You know, you could travel for several years on. Yeah, a lot of money that was lying around under the mattress. Oh, they didn't they, find no, it. No, no, they didn't look that hard. They just they found the petri dishes. They were dishes. expecting to find a grow operation. Yeah, yeah that's right. And, they, and then I had 2,000 books, which I still have in my library. And then those books were all with my real name, John Harrison. Oh. Uh, yeah. They didn't even notice us. Yeah. Like, well, well, who who owns this place? And I go, he's my friend. And and, and I said, well, they said. Uh, he wasn't home. He was not. No, he leased it to us. Oh, I see. And I said, well, no, he, he travels around the world a lot. He collects art. Yeah, this is this house right here is, is this little smidgen of all the art I have and stuff. Mm. So so anyway so anyway um, they came in took our photographs and then turned it over. Uh, then they said, well well we're going to check these petri dishes out. If we find out they're uh, psilocybin, we think they are. We're going to come back and we'll have to arrest you. I said, okay, officer. Thanks a lot for dropping by. Have a great day. <laughs> So yeah, that's what they did, and they left. And um, we figured it would take them two or three days, to process it. And meanwhile, I put together the dream team. We took all my personal possessions, put them in one storage unit, took all the growing um, equipment, and put that in another storage unit in the same in the same town, not in the same storage area. And uh, we were trying to be careful. And uh, we. About four days after the, they had dropped in, we, I was on my way to um, California. I was gonna. My friend was driving me down. I won't mention her name right now, she, but she was a hero. And she, she, we stopped in. I, I had buried a lot of cash out in the garden. I went out to the garden, picked up the cash, and got in her car and drove to LA. Drove to San Francisco. And when we went in the house, we saw the sign that says. Um, you know, we dropped in. Um, there'll be a warrant posted for your arrest. There is a warrant posted for your arrest, and we got that information. They left it at the house. At your house in Oregon, or house in Oregon? Oh. I'm sorry, oh. it was unclear. I'm sorry. Oh, I thought you meant in San Francisco. No, on the way to oh, on the way to San Francisco, we drove out the Mackenzie Highway, oh, okay. stopped at the house, right. picked up the cash. I should be more deliberate right, about this. Right. And so then I and then we went down there. 395 down the east side, right. 
It's and a we, great drive, 395. <laughs> especially all the way to L.A. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, we were up in Northern California. Oh, right. So uh, anyway, it was great. So we did that, and, and that's, um, that's basically what happened there. And they took our photographs, as I mentioned, and they ran them. And two months later, my uh, rental, I had a rental car. The rental cars, um, um, it was, I was bringing it back late. Okay, so bringing it back, I called the rental agency. I'll be bringing it in tomorrow. I wasn't even thinking that they had ran my photograph. And when I came in at to Eugene Airport to turn my rental car in, um, this is coming. I came all the way back up north. Um, they were there waiting for me. The federal marshals were waiting for me there and arrested me. So the the guy at the rental agency recognized you? No, no. The federal marshals they knew they had run my credit card, and they they the credit card had come up somehow. They knew my name. They, the credit card came up somehow that I rented their car. Oh, and they ran it that I way. See. That's how they found me. I see. Yeah. Right. And in the meantime, which that's I'd, on the new name. That's on the new name. Right, right. Yeah. Michael Newberry was my name as a fugitive. Right. Newberry. Michael Newberry. Isn't that perfect? <laughs> That's great. And my grandfather on my, my mother's side was named Michael. <laughs> my father was named John. I'm yeah. the John the Third. Yeah. So anyway, so I forgot to mention, too, I'm giving you the whole story here. This is, you know, like a book-length manuscript. Thank you. That's yeah, great. sure. Um, anyway, I, um, while, while I was in California, we found a piece of property up in Arcata. And um, <clears throat> like I said, something about the going gets weird, the weird turn pro. Well, we were going pro. We decided to buy this property, 20 acres. With, it was basically an abandoned meth lab. <laughs> and we turned it into the state-of-the-art um, um, mushroom grow setup. Mm. And we were in the middle of that when I came to turn the rental car in oh. in, in, in Oregon. Yeah, and That's when I got apprehended. And did they... Trace it back to the property. No. Oh, good. Did not. So, Never. No. 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 Yeah. No trail. So you get busted in Oregon, and they know. Now, do they know you're a fugitive, or they just know you're this guy? Oh. That they wanted from the no, Kansas no, River. they didn't know. I was a fu- they had run my name. Oh, they in knew. fact, when I went to the counter, this is kind of dramatic too. I went to the counter to turn the rental car in, and, and I'm standing there, and the place was ominously empty. Yeah. The whole place was empty. Oh, right. I go, right. this is weird. Like, they clean everybody they out of here. They're afraid you might be armed. Maybe. Get dangerous. Yeah. I said, well, uh, hi. You guy goes, John, John Harrison. I know you. No, I never met you before. He goes, yeah, well, I'm Dale Murphy, Dale Murphy, and I'm a U.S. Marshal. We know who you are. And don't even think about running because there's four agents right behind you. And we just want to make sure you're not armed. And Yeah. And, um... And you weren't. You never messed oh, with no, guns. No, no, yeah. never, never owned a gun in my life. Yeah, Mm-mm. that's good. Yeah, so that was that. That's that little brief story. That's the brief story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> believe me. So then, how long did they send you back to California they to did. face trial? Yeah, I remember driving back with right. twelve immigrants who were being deported, oh. Mexican guys who were being deported back to Mexico, right. um, in a very long van ride. Bad. We were this close, Shackle. all in shackles. Shackles, Jesus. the whole way. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was my blood pressure went sky high apparently because when they got off the, the out of the van in Santa Santa Rita, which is the jail up east, east of the San Francisco Bay, um, I uh, they said your you, your blood pressure is dangerously high. Mm. I'm sure I was stressing. Yeah. And for so many reasons, you know. 
God, when I think about it, I'm almost getting stressed. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, yeah. yeah. So anyway, came to, back to California, then time in jail. I won't get into all that right now. Stories, again, more stories. But I ended up, um, I'll give you the short version here about how the processing went. So I was in county all summer of 95. It's the summer Jerry Garcia died, actually. My niece, Lainey, was born. And uh, I'm, I'm in there in a... Um, uh, uh, in in the county jail, and uh, I talked to my lawyer the night before my sentencing, and they had, they had recommended twenty four years for me. Right. This is what they were recommending. This is what the were there minimum mandatory. Yes, mandatory minimums. Yeah. Absolutely, we're definitely up and running. Yeah. So my lawyer, so I, I called my lawyer the night before, and he goes, um, "So I've got it down to twenty years for you." It's the same lawyer from before. Yeah. yeah. Right. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Twenty. Yeah, you know, I was like, wow. I mean, I was that was a long night. Yeah. So the next day, I was going into court. All my friends were going to be there. You're going to plead guilty? Oh no, no, I wasn't guilty. Yeah, I never pled, pled guilty in anything ever. Huh. I pled no contest. Right. So you're on trial now for the original charge of the LSD distribution, mm-hmm. or the the trial was over. This is for sentencing. For that. And oh, then yeah. they're going to add on the the fleeing or whatever. That's that's a good point. So they they could have added on five years for that. Oh, they and, didn't. Well, I'll tell you oh, what happens. This yeah. is what happens. So I actually, I'm in front of the judge with my lawyer standing there. I'm in the fig leaf pose, you know, and the my courtroom is packed with all my friends. Like, you know, it was like it was very dramatic. It was right out of Perry Mason or something, you know. Like, and the judge goes, "Oh, Mr. Keene, uh, he was the U.S. Attorney. Are you ready for Mr. Harrison's sentencing?" And 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 his name was I think Bill Keene. I think his name was William Keene. And he goes, "Well, Your Honor, it looks like Mr. Harrison has benefited from being a fugitive, and the guidelines were reduced in his absence." And all my friends, <sighs> they're all cheering, you know. I just I need the gavel, you know. So, you know, I was like that. and, and But I want to back up because I skipped a spot here. I'm telling you this story yeah. stream of consciousness yeah. here. But basically, I asked my lawyer. We're standing there. And my lawyer elbows me. And he goes, I got some good news for you. I go, all things considered, I can use some. Use it. Yeah. Use some good news. He goes, they've decided to give you five years. I, I uh, no, uh, they decided to give you forty-one months. I go, oh, you mean for the failure to appear, which they can give you. They can give you sixty months for mm. that. He goes, no, this is for the acid. And I was like Steve Martin going. So you're down from like yeah from from years from twenty from two hundred eighty-eight months down to forty-one. Right, and then with good behavior. Well, no, yeah, there's more. So then, so then. I'm standing there going, I couldn't believe it. I was ecstatic. I go, yeah, I'll do that on my head. Thank mm. <laughs> you, you know. And um, so the um, uh, my lawyer tells me, yeah, well, well you know, that's they're they're not going to give you. They're going to give you six months for the, that's including six months for the failure to appear. So basically, uh, I was looking at 41 months, and then I, I ended up going to going to the federal penitentiary up in uh, Sheridan, Oregon. And and I when I was up there, I called my fr- friend Ed, who's, who was at my birthday party last week here in San Diego and saying happy birthday. He's 86 years old now. 85. Sorry, Ed. Anyway, he was at my... And he... Um, I said, Ed... Uh, I called him from prison. He was on my call list. I can mm-hmm. have a list of people you call. Because he was a mentor and friend of mine, you know, uh, a psychologist and a, a rolfer and um, just a brilliant man. He's, he's what you should probably meet. He's a great guy. Mm-hmm. 
He's a remarkable person. He was at Esalen in the early days of the residential program there. Mm. That's when I met him at Esalen in 77. Mm. Anyway, Ed says, um, I, I called Ed from prison and they go, hey, Ed. And he goes, John, how you doing? <laughs> How's prison treating you? And I said, well, you know, Ed, all together, it's not that bad. You know, it's, it's I, you know, I got, everything's going okay. But I would like to know if you would do me a favor and would you write a letter to the head of this drug program here in prison? Because if I write him a letter saying that I was, you know, I had a drug problem, because my lawyer had advised me not to tell them I had a drug problem. I didn't really have a drug problem. I liked marijuana. So I pretended that I was addicted to marijuana. And mm. so started laughing and goes, you, a drug problem? Your problem was getting it cheap. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah kind of like, yeah, so basically, Ed. Um, so what was the advantage of the letter? What did that get? Oh, well, he basically got me in this program, which meant um, this, uh, it's called the Drug Abuse Something Program. And uh, essentially two hours a day, four days a week for a year. And you basically show up and listen to their propaganda oh. or impropaganda. Right. Right. And you in propaganda, yeah. So yeah, basically, because it was it was exactly a good prototype for how not to do a drug program. Right. Like their their whole philosophy was drugs bad, not drugs good. The end. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, I went to this program and um, I did it for a year. I and I, in doing it, it's an entire year and a half off your sentence. Uh, okay. Right. Okay. Or how much was it off? I got went down. I went down from forty one months to twenty nine months. Hmm. And that 29 includes time in, in the county right. and includes six months of um, your um, uh, halfway house afterward. Yeah. So my actual time in the big house, a total time was 15 months, hmm. which was, yeah. yeah, that's not even a time in the military. Right. I never went to the military, so I figured this was my time. <laughs> Community service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So wow, was it a medium security? Yes, it was actually. Medium, yeah, that's a good call because yeah. they wanted to put me. Uh, first of all, I was going to go to a minimum because of my sentence, and they realized, oh no, we can't because he was a fugitive. Uh, if you're a fugitive, you can't get it. You walk. Yeah, yeah. You, well, yeah. Like, yeah. A, I did uh, four days in a medium security prison in Alaska. Really? Yeah. Yeah. May I ask before? Shoplifting. Really? Yeah, it was really stupid. I've told the story on the podcast before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I won't go into it. No. But um, at the time in Alaska, they didn't have, I don't know what it's like now, but they didn't have jails mm -hmm. to just hold you for a trial or whatever. Right. So they held you in the medium security prison. They had medium and maximum. And so, yeah, so I've been, I've had the experience of being in a prison, an yeah. actual prison. That's a fucking mind blower. It is I mean, a mind blower. To see, to feel the doors close mm -hmm. and like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm used to deciding what to do. I have, I have very little choices. to. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to worry about making choices. Yeah. That's one way to look at it. Yeah. But one good thing was, I'll say this, I mean, not to put a little little bow on the whole thing, but, yeah. you know, but I, when I got to prison, my, my, the friend of mine that got arrested, my roommate, he was in the same prison. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. And we became like even better friends. Yeah. Because, you know, he, he, I mean, it was his, it was his stuff that got me in trouble. Yeah. I knew it wasn't intentional. Yeah. And I never would have gotten in trouble if it hadn't been for him. Right. So, but it, but it was ancient history and I right. just couldn't. And well, so, and he did what he could for He you. did what he could. That's right. right. And so we, we ended up uh, becoming really good friends. And then I, he, I said, you know what I'd like to do while I'm here is to start a meditation group of some kind. Right. He goes, well, I work in the chapel. Let me talk to the chaplain. Right. And we arranged our, um, and I'm, a meditation group called Blue Dragon Zen Group, hmm. which, interestingly enough, uh, I'm starting in two weeks here in San Diego. 
uh, Blue Dragon Zen community here. Great. My, I've been working with a teacher for almost oh, eight, nine years now, huh. Zen master. And uh, that's what... That's right. <laughs> You're a table hitter. I do. I, I, I should put the. You hear everything on I should, phones, yeah, don't the you? headphones. You hear every um, little vibration. Do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anyway. Um, well, that's fin- man. What a story. My God. That's just chapter one. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so this is all going to be included in your book, Witness to Transformation. No, that's a different book. I'm, those are oh. two different books because the Witness to Transformation is about my work with uh, medicine, psychedelic medicine, and also just work with addiction and right. and personal transformation work. Right. And so those are two separate things. Uh, there's a, there's some overlap, for sure. Yeah. In terms of my um, awareness around the whole system. Yeah. That's for sure. But uh, you know, the witness of transformation is is its own book because it's about really working with um, these medicines and and helping people to help themselves. Really, is what you're doing. Yeah. And getting out of their way so they can do it. Yeah. Not to try to, you know be too much too directive around it yeah well, I mean, well, I don't have a title for this book yet yeah it'll come to you yeah I, I just I know that's true that's why I'm not worried about I've, it. I've got the the title for my memoir mm-hmm. I, I haven't written it yet but I think it's gonna I want an you know what an AVN award is no it's the it's the Oscars of porn <laughs> and I won one you did yeah uh, I was a friend of mine made a porn movie is like a high-end <laughs> high-budget porn movie high-budget porn movie i like it it's called marriage 2.0 and it's about uh <laughs> it's about a couple who've been together five years or so mm-hmm. and they're starting to get a little bored and they're both young and attractive mm-hmm. and and they love each other but they're like eh, i don't think i can like commit for the rest of my life to this you know mm-hmm. and so they decide to have an open relationship and so they, you know, have sex with other people, and so these are all the hot scenes in the movie, right? <laughs> and uh, but the woman in the couple is a f- documentary filmmaker, and she's experiencing a lot of insecurity and jealousy around what her boyfriend is doing mm-hmm. with these other women, mm-hmm. and so she decides to make a documentary about relationships. And as part of that, she interviews me and my wife. Oh, about our book Sex at Dawn that we wrote about uh, sexuality and prehistory uh-huh. so I have a cameo playing myself essentially <laughs> in this movie right and it won an Oscar wow uh, an AVN award yeah an AVN but the category is best non-sex performance <laughs> So you think, have that on your wall? I've got a trophy. Oh, that's, that's great. That's so great. So on I your think, mantle. I think that's going to be my my memoir. That's a pretty best good. non-sex performance. Best non-sex performance. <laughs> it's like winning. That's a good title. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's intriguing, really, right? It's a really like, good title. What does that mean? And I also like how it's like you, you're winning something that feels like losing. Right. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, but I yes. want, I'd rather have the worst sex performance yeah. than the best non-sex performance. That's really true. <laughs> That's funny. That's yeah, a good one, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's mm-hmm. strange. Life is strange. I had a guy in this podcast who was in, in federal prison for 26 years hmm. for killing his mother, and he didn't do it. He was framed. That was a hard conversation. How was he? You know... So what happened, He, I met him through my aunt. My aunt read a story about him in the L.A. Times, and she sent some money to his legal defense 
fund mm-hmm. and then they met each other somewhere and she said you know you should you should talk to him you have this podcast you should talk to him he's mm-hmm. a great guy mm-hmm. bruce lisker is his name and i was afraid to honestly because i thought he would be so angry and just so tragic that I that was, would be painful for you. Yeah, yeah, I, I, was, I understand that. I was afraid to be around. Right, anymore. I completely understand that emotion. And then um, I went to a party. He had a party at his house, and my aunt took me, and mm-hmm. I met him briefly. And mm-hmm. he was the sweetest, coolest, chill dude. And then I asked him if he'd want to do the podcast. He said sure, and I'm I not surprised. sat with him. And he was just so cool. There's a vacuum cleaner going somewhere, and. Uh, do you hear that? Yeah, I do. Let me check. Let me check. No, no, don't worry. We'll we'll wrap it up here. Oh, okay. But anyway, I said to uh, I said to him in the conversation, like, dude, I was afraid to to meet with you because I thought you'd be so angry. Like, how do you keep you're so chill? And he said, they took twenty six years. I'm not giving him another day. Mm. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. I really understand that. Yeah, I do. I'll bet. I mean, I I felt like I lost about ten years. I mean, including the time right. waiting for trial, the tuning time. On the lam, including the time in prison, including the time about a year and a half after I was on probation. Yeah. It's a so big all chunk that. Of all, life. Sorry. It's a big chunk of your life. My chunk. It was my, it was my 40s. Yeah. Really, you know, and yeah. and uh, you know, used for a lot of people, that's really productive years. It's it's right. time of creativity. It's time of making babies. Right. Uh, it, you know, it was, it was, on, it was on the late. Money. Sorry. Sucking away money. Sucking away money. I did none of that, yeah. and and so. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not whining about it. Actually, I, I it was what happened. Those are the cards that was dealt. But I, I, I feel like it was um, there's sort of a purification through fire in a way. You know, it's sort of like okay, I learned something here. What's what's to learn? And like I said, about a lot of appreciation of freedom. Right. And 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 not willing to settle for less than that. And that's a big lesson. It's in some ways it's like a near death experience. Oh yeah, because absence of freedom is a death, right? Oh, very much so. I, yeah. I feel like I, you know, I, I. What's that? What's that great line from the movie Wall Street? I don't know if you remember this movie. Uh, I, I always quote movies, and uh, there's a great scene when when the, when Charlie Sheen is is getting arrested, um, and finally in in the stock off stockbroker's office, mm-hmm. and um, they uh, Hal Holbrook. Was was one of the uh, his mentors there, older guy, and he goes, you know, Bud, here's what I want to tell you. When you, when it's when you look into the, it's sometimes in your life you look into the abyss, and nothing's staring back at you, and that's that's when you find out where your character is. Mm-hmm. When there's nothing staring back at you, right. and there's this emptiness there. Where, where 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 are you in that? And you'll find that out. Yeah. And I, I'm not quoting it very accurately, but you get the point. It's do you get the point? Yeah, and I think it's also a reference to Nietzsche. Yeah, because Nietzsche said, "Stare not into the abyss, lest the abyss stare back into you." That's exactly right. Yeah. There, that's good. Yeah, yeah, it's really true. And and so you know, I I feel that what happened. I I, I um, you know, I I, 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 regret, I have some regrets about it. The biggest regret I have by far is the, the pain I caused my family, yeah. my parents, particularly. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if I could undo that again, uh, I would do it in, like that. I, would, I, I, I really feel like I caused my, especially my father, a lot of pain. 
and it wasn't intentional, of, of course, but... Um, did he survive to see you come out the other end? Oh, yeah, he did. Good, that's yeah. important. It was important. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, I guess it was in 19, uh, 2002, my dear friend Leisha, who I'm really close with, she was just here met uh, before last for dinner, and um, with her family. And uh, we were in South America. We were getting ready to go to South America to climb uh, Cotopaxi, mm. this 19,000-foot uh, mountain. Ooh. Yeah. Was that in Peru? It's in Ecuador. Ecuador. Yeah, it's in the, the Avenue of the Volcanoes. Yeah. Beautiful. I mean, when I say avenue, it's like there's 20 miles of volcanoes. Never been there. Yeah. Highly recommend. Ecuador lot, doesn't you know. get enough juice because it's really amazing. Yeah, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru. I'd like to. Yeah, spend some you would time love it. You area. would love. Yeah, yeah it's wonderful. Uh, you never been to Peru either? No. Oh yeah. It's, well, your your wife went. You said she right? She was down. Any way around? Yeah. She yeah. was in Iquitos. Near outside of Iquitos. Yeah. At least like maybe six weeks mm -hmm. there. And then she also went to the. How temple. come you didn't go? <laughs> Uh, I was busy doing other stuff. Oh, apparently, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. great. She's a psychiatrist, and she oh. wanted to do some intensive work with plant medicines. And, oh, great! And what's what's her name? Casilda Jetta. Okay, yeah. wow, she's wonderful. A, yeah, she's a renegade uh, psychiatrist. She's <laughs> my favorite she's kind. Left, yeah, the only kind really. Mm -hmm. um, but she's left conventional medicine. Oh yeah, she's she's very interesting. Uh, you can meet her. She's in episode one hundred. And 212, I think, of this podcast. But uh, I would love to meet her. Yeah, she's in well, Costa Rica right now. Actually. Oh, right now. Yeah, she's well, volunteering. In Vision? A, no, she's volunteering at a at a hospital, children's hospital in San Jose. That's yeah. great. Yeah. So anyway, I interrupted you. Where were we? Uh, you were talking about going down to South America with your friend to climb the mountain. And yeah, sorry. Yeah, with with Leisha. Yeah, we went down there, and I remember I was talking to my dad. That's what brought it up because mm. I was talking to my dad right. about it, and I said, uh, "I go." He goes, I, and I was getting ready to. I was packing up, and I was in L.A. to where my fo folks lived at the time, and I was telling him about my trip to South America, and he goes, "What are you going down there for?" That's why my dad was talking. Well, I go, "Why aren't you going down there?" <laughs> Something like that, you know. And he goes, "Well, you know, I'm going to worry about you." I go, Dad, I'm 52 years old, or 50 years old, or something. And he goes, well, that's what I do. <laughs> you know, and that's kind of true. And another little thing about my dad I just want to say is just like, sort of old school, but it's so resonant with this, this sort of deep, timeless love, you know, that's just so true about him. Like, he, the day I left as a fugitive, the day I left, he went to court in my stead. It doesn't sound like much, but he was in there. There was no other pe people there except him. And none of my friends were there. He went to represent. He went to represent. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I mean, he lived in L.A. He drove up 400 miles to do that. Hmm. I know. 350 miles. Anyways, it's, I, to me, it was powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just like... So, yeah, I mean... Imagine that drive, what he's thinking, driving up. Yeah. It's he a liked, long drive. Yeah. So, you know, we didn't... It's funny how we I got into the story today, and, and we didn't talk too much about what's going on currently in the <laughs> contemporary time, but... Yeah. Lots going on. Well, let's do, uh, let's do another one. I would love that. Yeah. I would love that, I'd Chris. Really I'd really enjoy talking with you. Yeah, good. Well, yeah. I'm in Topanga, so... We'll we'll come back and forth. Oh great! Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Come that would be fun. That would time. be a lot of fun. Yeah, John, thank you. Uh, where can people find you if they want to look you up? If you want to share. Oh no, absolutely, of course. Yeah, yeah, that's. I mean, this is what I do. I uh, 
uh, my primary work now is in you know working with people that are in addiction and and and, and, and challenged with that. Um, but the the big picture, it, uh, for example, I the big picture is transformation. And and some people say, well, don't you get tired of hearing everybody's troubles all the time? I go, you know what I really hear more than anything is their hopes and aspirations, mm. and that's an honor. Yeah. So yeah, I'm always willing to talk with people about it and how to how to find their way through the challenges of, of addiction or depression. They they're they're so over. There's a lot of overlap. Sure. You know, and well, and it's back to pain and trauma. It goes back right? to pain yeah. and trauma. Exactly. Exactly right. So, I I think that um, they can reach me um, uh, at this email. It's John Harrison J A K. My my email is Jakaileb. J A K A I L E B at hotmail.com. And uh, you can call me 415 999 3748. Cool. And yeah. also, if for some reason you forget that, contact me and I'll forward your email to John. Okay. That'd be an honor. All right. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Chris. Really appreciate you sharing so much, especially this very personal journey that you've been on. It's- yeah. I mean, <laughs> you didn't sock away the money in your 40s, but you got some really good stories. <laughs> I got some good stories out Which of it. for guys like us are worth a lot of money. You know what? Money, it's you know? true. It's uh, true. I always yeah. wanted to be, when I was young, I was like, I want to be an old guy with stories. <laughs> and now I am. And it's like, who the hell wants to Isn't that great? <laughs> I know. That's what Dennis told me. Dennis McKenna told me that. You got some stories, Harrison. Yeah, <laughs> but he yeah. told me. That's funny. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I really appreciate any support you can give to the podcast, whether it's financial through Patreon, PayPal, uh, or using the affiliate link on my page, and then bookmarking that as your Amazon go-to page, we get a little cut of that. Uh, also, I've set up a website called What Makes This Thing Great, where you can check out some of the stuff that I use on the road, in the van, around the house, just uh, things that I've I can personally vouch for and uh, that I think you'll dig. And also there's an affiliate situation going on there. Um, Also, if you don't have cash, don't worry about it. You can support the podcast by just telling friends about it, uh, participating in the chat rooms on Reddit. If you just go to Reddit and look for Tangentially Speaking, you'll find a couple thousand people checked in there chatting about different episodes and Things I say that seem smart and things I say that seem stupid and uh, whatever, everything that comes up. And uh, finally, you can leave a review on iTunes, which always helps. Um, Advertisers and other people see, you know, thousands of reviews and they say, okay, that's a podcast that's happening. Let's throw some money at it. So, uh, yeah, if you're feeling it, it's always cool to see some reviews go up on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your emails and your um, snips. You can always send those to intro at tangentiallyspeaking.com and uh, those will come to us. And uh, yeah, that's it. Christopher Assistant at gmail.com is the sort of general email address for questions or emails or suggestions for guests or if you're along the route somewhere and um, you want to say hi drop us a line either one of those email addresses will get to us all right thanks for listening catch you down the road okay mom uh, tell people what they can order from the garage okay in our cottage garage we have 
lots and lots of t-shirts. Sex at Dawn, Civilized to Death, Vanthropology, Tangentially Speaking, Paleo Modern, and Talking Out of My Ass. (laughs) She didn't like saying that last one. Then we now have some new things added. We've got beer cozies or koozies or whatever they're called. Oh, civilized to death design. They're all civilized to death. We have stickers and car decals, right? Yes. Okay, there you have it. That's Julie, my mom. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm going to die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're going to say. Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You want to shut it up but give it a rest You're going to die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation go down we'll go singing to the smoke alarms we'll dance into the ground 